All right. Notes, sir. Waiting through the conference. Um, all right, let's pray and jump in. Lord, we ask you for grace today, for insight by the Holy Spirit into your scriptures, knowledge and understanding, Father, that you would give us right understanding, clarity of lifestyle, even more a right heart, Father. You would make our hearts tender, hearts of flesh, filled with love and gratitude, righteousness and service to you, Father, alone, in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so um, uh, I wanted to jump in because now that we have two-hour classes, I, uh, I've been wanting to work through the kingdom passages, but uh, and there's, we have three weeks here, and so um, I think on week 11... I'll just spend an hour and probably won't out, but we'll just kind of work ones giving context. And then uh, last, um, because I have outlined them all, but they're just not handoutable quality. I'm between over the next three weeks to develop them, so for another time. Um, and then session 12, uh, I'm just going to, I'll put up online the martyrdom MP3 from the Babylon class, which you can, uh, since the last session is supposed to be on martyrdom, but we kind of covered that. And anyway, so session 8, um, if you want to pull out your uh, your diagram, said diagram. Uh, so the kind of four pillars that uh, sustain a sojourning heart. We're hitting the fourth one today, and just for a little review, uh, point A. Uh, sojourning nation awaiting the consummation of the covenants the church is called to seek the Lord worship and faith uh, to endure in that to prepare in holiness and righteousness sanctification testifying to the nations concerning the coming coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus moreover God has given us a deposit of the spirit to assure us of the certainty of such things and empower a witness of them and so uh First Peter 1, I just put these two passages in um, that use the same word, and I like it. So, therefore, preparing your minds for action. You guys are familiar with this passage. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. And so, in context to the day of the Lord, the revelation of Jesus, welcome, welcome, babies and all are welcome. <laughs> So in context to the day of the Lord and the revelation of Jesus, uh, the command until then is to walk as obedient children, being not conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but being conformed to the revelation of your understanding of the revelation to, to, of Jesus and the day of the Lord and the age to come, to be conformed therein. He says, as the Lord says, be holy as I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves, and the Greek word is anastrepho, which is uh, with fear throughout the time of your exile, or uh, the King James says throughout the time of your sojourning. And so uh, so the Greek word anastrepho, is, it's, uh, it's a word that, Ana just means in the midst of or amidst, and strepho means to turn. And so it's, uh, strepho is even used to, uh, in context to turning oneself. And so anastrepho is, strepho is just a, uh, whatever, uh, emphasize, reflexive, to guide and conduct, to turn oneself in light of our destiny and the judgment to come. 
And so it gets used as conduct yourselves in a sojourning manner. So I just copied and pasted the Strong's in there to to turn upside down or to turn back, to turn hither, thither, uh, to turn oneself about, to sojourn, uh, sojourn, dwell in a place, a metaphor to, to conduct oneself, behave oneself in living. And so you get the idea of, of, uh, of, controlling our lifestyle, conforming our lifestyle uh, back and forth in light of the day of the Lord on a narrow path kind of image, which I thought was pretty cool. And then First Timothy 3, those who serve well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Although I hope to come to you soon, he's just talking about his instructions to to leadership, deacons, elders, etc., uh, before that, and uh, although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves, how they ought to turn themselves in God's household, which is the church of, of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. And so uh, just beautiful imagery for the sojourning nature uh, of the church before the day of the Lord. B, considering the state of the human heart and persistence of darkness on the earth, God has deemed discipline necessary to sustain a repentant and believing heart. Internally, uh, conducting ourselves, and externally, the Lord helps us in our conducting and kind of conducts life for us as a loving father because we are all really just big three-year-olds and we all have the big mind in our heart. And so... We war against our darkened heart and flesh, and we war against the mine, and the Lord helps us along in that. Um, Moreover, in order to remain faithful, the human heart demands a continual feeding of the Holy Spirit who testifies of the age to come. And so like Luke 11 says, when you pray, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us our daily bread until that kingdom comes. Uh, Forgive us our sins uh, as we forgive everyone who sins against us. And then he tells the parable, suppose you have a friend who comes to you at midnight saying, friend, give me some bread. And so the bread is, is in context to the prayer concerning the coming kingdom and asking God, this is how you pray in context to the day of the Lord you persistently and consistently ask God for daily bread to walk in faithfulness and righteousness and uh, unto our inheritance and, and welcome into that kingdom. And, uh, and so he gives, he's generous to give the gift of the Holy Spirit to sustain us uh, in our hope, uh, those that ask anyway. Page 2. Moreover, the gifts of the Holy Spirit have been given by God to strengthen the assembly in the place of prayer and faithful sojourning. Specifically, gifts are given to individuals within the church to bless and encourage the whole in repentance and belief in the age to come. And so uh, today we kind of enter into the discussion on the fivefold ministry and the nature of the fivefold ministry to steward the gifts of God uh, amidst the church unto sojourning. And the problem is is that when you get into a discussion about the fivefold ministry, usually the only people having this discussion are uh, people with a, uh, a uh, kingdom now, heavy kingdom now mindset. And so rather than, like we talked about last week, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the powers of the age to come being interpreted under the banner of sojourning rather the same way the fivefold ministry or the gifts of the Holy Spirit are interpreted on the manner, manner, the banner of dominionism, so also the fivefold ministry. Rather than being seen as an expression of the ministry of the Holy Spirit under the banner of faithful sojourning before the day of the Lord, generally the discussion revolves around under the banner of uh, dominion and establishing God's dominion in this age and taking over the earth, God has given the fivefold ministry to administrate and, and walk that out. So 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, 
But the same God works all of them and all men. Now to each one manifestation of the the Spirit is given for the common good. Now you are the body of Christ. Each of you has a part of it in the church. God has appointed first apostles, prophets, teachers, workers of miracles, having gifts, those having gifts of healing, those who help others, and mercy, those with gifts of administration, those who speak in different tongues. And all of these have a common purpose, and they're, they're common outworkings of the gifts of the Spirit in context to our faith in the age to come. So, uh the fivefold ministry of the Holy Spirit, point two. I say the fivefold ministry of the Holy Spirit to emphasize uh, in contrast to the a lot of times the way it gets taught is this kind of idea of the fivefold office uh, uh, the the fivefold office of the church and in which I, I don't think, uh, I just want to counter that kind of rigid view of the uh, administration of the church because it's really, the point is, is that God is administrating the gifts of the Holy Spirit through people and that all the gifts of the Holy, Holy Spirit are for all of God's people, but particular people walk in particular gifts consistently, generally, is the rule. But... There's not this kind of pigeonholing and categorizing in which uh, you can only function in particular offices or whatever. Rather, you function in the gifts of the Spirit and you seek earnestly all the gifts of the Spirit, but you're content with the uh, cards that are given to you and you play the cards that are given to you and walk in what God has uh, given you to walk in. And... uh, so, point A, the purpose of the fivefold ministry is to administrate the gifts of the Holy Spirit unto leading the church in righteousness and, and prayer, uh, unto empowerment and the grace of God, maturity and faithfulness in our calling, unto inheritance in the kingdom. So, it's just kind of working straight down uh, this list where you have the point of the fivefold ministry is to administrate the gifts to pastor the church through trial and tribulation, through zealousness, and walking according to the Spirit, and in prayer unto a faithful, uh, a faithful witness in our purpose uh, uh, concerning the age to come. So Ephesians 4, this is where you, the main passage for the fivefold ministry. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, uh, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling Eric, can you just grab that so that we're not disturbing whatever? I know they had desks set up out there. Uh, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling in which you have been called. So the center of your diagram. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, There is one body, one spirit, just as also you have been called in one hope and one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Concerning the age to come, one God, Father of of all who is over all, through all, in all. And to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so in context to our calling, the Holy Spirit has has given grace to us to walk faithfully, to walk worthy of our calling. And... uh, He quotes Psalm 68, and so in context to that grace, he gives apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints, the equipping to do what? Walk worthy of our calling, exactly, and our calling being uh, the age to come. And so for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to build up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith, concerning our calling and the knowledge of the Son of God uh, uh, to whom we're called to a mature man in our calling to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And so Ephesians 4, uh, 13, I just put the New Living down there, the idea of that we, he's just reiterating the idea of walking worthy of our calling that he's given the grace of the Holy Spirit by means of the fivefold ministry 
to build up the body of Christ that they might walk according to their calling in conformity to their calling, to the standard of their calling of righteousness that they might live now as in the daytime of the age to come. Page three, likewise, Paul says it, he reiterates it uh, different a couple other times, like in 1 Thessalonians 2, for you know like how like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And so Paul functioning uh, in, the, in uh, uh, whatever ministry he's functioning in in that moment, because you'll see in different times and different circumstances that he functions uh, in different ministries. Obviously, he, he's uh, primary, primarily in accordance with uh, apostolic calling. But his the point of... All of the fivefold ministry is to encourage, exhort concerning the equipping of the saints, concerning their calling in the age to come and walking worthy of that. Uh, Colossians 1, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through wisdom and knowledge by the Spirit, spiritual wisdom and understanding. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. And so I'm asking God that he would give you understanding and clarity concerning who you are, your destiny, etc. by means of the grace of the Holy Spirit so that you would live your life in conformity with that understanding and live worthy of the Lord, may please him in every way, way, producing, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance bearing fruit in keeping with the age to come and the, day, the judgment of the day of the Lord, bearing fruit, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance, patience, and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Um, point B uh, uh, is uh, it's just the point that the Holy Spirit is designed to witness to uh, Jesus in the age to come. Likewise, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Likewise, the uh, the ministries of the Holy Spirit, the fivefold. See, the Lord has chosen to establish various ministries within his body by the Holy Spirit, each designed to spur the church on to maturity in its calling and destiny. Paul groups these ministries into five general categories. So, some say there's nine different categories because of 1 Corinthians 12, but I mean they all kind of bleed over and bleed together, and that's why I don't want to categorize them real heavily because there's really a lot of interchange uh, between them all uh, in the scriptures. And, but the main point I want to make is that they're all expressions within the body of the Holy Spirit And the whole point is not to get bogged down on whether you put apostle or prophet on your business card. The whole point is is that you get the general idea of what the Holy Spirit is doing in this age. And therefore, the gifts of the Holy Spirit given to each of us, what the design and purpose of them is. And so obviously, generally the gift I walk in is teaching. But the purpose of the teaching, like we'll get to, uh, along the way is strengthening sojourn, giving knowledge and, and insight and understanding of, uh, of the calling. But each of you will have different gifts by the Holy Spirit uh, in accordance with, with uh, different parts of the body that you'll function in. And all are, uh, all are equally valuable. So one, apostles. The idea of apostleship was not a new concept to those in the first century Judaism. Apostleship simply embodied the idea of uh, governmental appointment or anointing, i.e. those sent as representatives of a king or lord. And so uh, I just put uh, the Strong's info on apostolos. Um, The meaning, a delegate messenger, one sent forth with orders. Uh, from the verb apostello. So uh, the the idea of the apostolic and really the idea of uh, 
every aspect of the fivefold ministry didn't develop in a vacuum in context to Jesus. Uh, all, the, uh, all the different ministries are clearly picked up from the Old Testament and then uh, expressed in the New, and there's continuity between the two because there's continuity. There's so many lines of continuity like, like we've talked about. Um, but the apostolic is, uh, uh, you get it from the idea throughout the Old Testament of any of the servants of God that are sent by the Lord. And the idea of being sent is apostello. So Hebrews 3, Therefore, uh, brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the, ap- the apostle, the apostolos, and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him and sent him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. And so you can circle faithful in the two because, the, because he's emphasizing the apostleship of Jesus uh, relating to the apostleship of Moses because the point is, is that, G, that uh, Moses was sent, like, uh, like 1 Samuel 12, your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent... He apostled Moses and Aaron. And then uh, I put in here number 16 because you have kind of a, a, a moment that really expresses the idea of Moses being sent. And then it's really the time in the ministry of Moses where his being sent is, is most intensely questioned in which uh, the sons of... Uh, 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 yeah, Korah was uh, became insolent and rallied a lot of the leaders of uh, of Israel against Moses. Um, trying to figure out how much to dive into uh, the first part of all this. Um, you you get a lot of the uh, language and language and picture not only from the prophets but also uh, from like the story uh, here where you have the, the leaders rise up and the point is in the interaction is not so much that the leaders really believe themselves to be sent by the Lord or believe themselves to be more competent than Moses to uh, lead Israel through the desert. And so you, uh, you get it when you work through it. They come out, they rise up against Moses. He... Uh, Moses in verse 4 falls face down. He says to Korah and his followers, Now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough that the God of Israel separated you from the rest of the Israelite community to minister to them? Verse 15, Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, Do not accept their offering. I have not taken so much as a donkey from them, nor have I wronged any of them. Then when the followers of then when Korah had gathered his followers and oppositioned them at the entrance of the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared to the entire assembly. Moses said, How long, this is how you'll know that the Lord has sent me, Apostolo, in the Septuagint, he's apostled me to do these things, and that it was not my idea. As soon as they he said this, the ground opened up and they went alive down into Sheol. And so you get the point of what Moses is actually countering is he knows that what Quran and his followers actually want in the situation is not love for the people that they're leading, like Moses had when he went up on the mountain and the Lord said, destroy them, and he cries out that uh, to destroy him instead of the, instead of the Israelites, so they don't actually have love for the people they're leading. The point is is that they want to exploit and use and use the whole situation to exalt themselves and take from the people their donkeys and their possessions, etc. Like in 1 Samuel 8 when they cry out for a king and the Lord says to Samuel, well, I'll give you a king and this is what he's going to do. He's going to take your mules, your maidservants, he's going to take part of your crops, etc., etc. And so you'll get this theme of, uh, which is pictured here with Moses, is going to run throughout and you'll get it emphasized over and over and over 
of how you test a true versus false apostle, prophet, teacher, etc., not by uh, uh, when it ultimately comes down to it, not by their behavior or even by their uh, right doctrine, but by the stay of their heart and if they actually care about the people or they exploit them. And so it's a complicated situation. Uh, Page 5, New Testament simply assumes the uh, idea of Old Testament apostleship. Um, Acts Acts 1 there, in those days Peter stood up among the brothers, or, well, John 20 is good because he says to his his, uh, apostles that he's designated, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And so you... uh, you, you get all the, uh, you know, like John 13 where he gets up, he dresses himself with a robe and he says, now that you've seen your teacher, likewise do also. As the, as the Son of Man has come not to be served but to serve, therefore leaving you example. And so uh, Acts 1, in those days Peter stood up and said, Judas was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry and the Greek word is uh, diakonia. And it's, it's good because he describes the apostleship of the twelve apostles and of Judas and replacing them as being a, as being a ministry or a uh, diakonia, which is a service from the Greek word diakonos or whatever for servant or slave. And so it puts the whole idea of apostleship and really all five of the fivefold ministry into the context of service and slavery to the body of Christ as a whole. Like Paul says in Colossians 1, where I fill up in my own body what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the church, his body. And so... Paul functions as an apostle for the body to strengthen it in its sojourning, in its calling unto unto the day of the Lord. See, thus the New Testament view of apostleship as a governmental responsibility or obligation in serving the body of Christ. Uh, Therefore, apostleship is not a privilege to be exploited in this age for the riches, honor, and long life of the commissioned servant. Um, 2 Corinthians 11, I've made a fool of myself, uh, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not the least inferior, inferior to the, quote, super apostles. Even though I am nothing, the things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles, were done among you with perseverance. How were you, how were you inferior to the other churches, except that I was not a burden to you? And so he, he proves his apostleship he says listen the the apostleship is uh the marks of apostles which me and the false prof the false apostles both do the signs and wonders happen but he backs up the what proves that he's an apostle in the situation is the motivation of his heart and uh, he says, how are you inferior to the other churches except that I was never a, a burden to you? Forgive me of this wrong. Did I exploit you through any of the men that I, that I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you. I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we, act in the same, did we not act in the same spirit and follow the same course? Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? We have not uh, been speaking in the sight of God as uh, uh, sorry, we have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ, and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. And then he goes on uh, he goes on after that, and I can't quote it, so he goes on right after that, and he says, uh, he says he's talking about the false apostles, the false apostles, deceitful workmen. He says, uh, 
You gladly put up with these fools since you are wise. In fact, you put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you, pushes himself forward, slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we are too weak for that. And so um, so throughout the, uh, the epistles, Paul defends himself and the fact that he's sent by the Lord and that he's an apostle not based on his strength or power, but based on his love and care for the church that he's sent to uh, to strengthen. Uh, like Second Corinthians 2, unlike so many, we don't peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God or commissioned by God. Um, 1 Corinthians 4, For I think that God has exhibited us, us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, to men. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, we labor, working with our hands. When reviled we blessed, when persecuted we endure, when slandered we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the earth, the refuse of all things, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So obviously I'm leading somewhere uh, with this. um, And uh, it's, uh, it's like when you talk on signs and wonders, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you obviously have to, to, to talk about the white elephant in the middle of the room. And so, uh, likewise, talking about the fivefold ministry, uh, you, you have to talk about, obviously, there's a plethora of writing and uh, 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 whole genres of people and movements and groups that all they talk about is the fivefold ministry. And this being the Apostolic Mission School, uh, what I don't want is the production of anything um, in that vein. So I'm trying to restrain myself because there's really, I mean, there's few things that I get really angry about. I'm fairly, fairly mellow, but the 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 whole... Um, restored apostles and prophet genre and just reading that whole area i mean i really start to fume when i read it and when i when i'm around it and so i have a chip on my shoulder obviously i understand that so take it with a grain of salt but i just don't want it it just reeks of everything antithetical to the true apostolic ministry that Paul describes. And, uh, and I believe the reason for that reeking is because of the theology that it embraces of kingdom now and therefore the way that they structure and build and, uh, and therefore the way they relate to people. Um, So, I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, Apostles are thus the foundation of the church. D, accountable to the Lord, the, the cornerstone leading the saints in righteousness and holiness until the consummation of the kingdom. And, uh, Oh, I want to say so much so bad. Ephesians 2, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Talking about Jew and Gentile uh, together to inherit the resurrection. God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So you have the house of the Lord the sojourning body of the Lord to inherit the kingdom, and it's built on, it's viewed as a house, 
and it's built on and administrated by the apostles and prophets. And Jesus being the chief apostle and prophet, the chief cornerstone, rising together to become a holy temple in the Lord, which the understanding is of the temple is the building that awaits the consummation of the age to come, which housed the deposit of the glory of God that would spread across the earth. Likewise, we house a deposit of the Holy Spirit that will uh, be in fullness in the resurrection. And so he's giving an analogy, not superseding the temple, but just an analogy comparing to the temple. And so we rise together and in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which, the, in which God lives by his spirit. Now is a deposit and fullness in the resurrection. And he uses the analogy of a house and the apostles and prophets being the foundation and Jesus being the chief cornerstone. And it's a building because they're on the bottom and they uphold and serve the rest of the house rather than being pictured as the roof that that rules over and lords it over the house like the Gentiles, Luke 22. We're not to be that way. The chief cornerstone is to, to be the servant of all and likewise the apostles and prophets. If we really do walk in love for the Lord and his people, then the Lord, uh, if he chooses, will send us and uh, and we have to uh, give an account for that trust that we're given. Page 7, uh, the prophets, Old Testament and New, prophets have always been fundamentally defined as those who foresee the restoration of all things by means of the seed. And so prophets are primarily defined by the vision that they're given from Enoch, the seventh from Adam, and what he saw all the way onward to Isaiah and seeing uh, uh, the branch of the Lord and the new heavens and new earth to Ezekiel, uh, to, to uh, you know I'm saying, all the prophets. So, First uh, Peter 1, in his great mercy, he's given us new birth and living hope, an inheritance that can't perish, spoil, or fade, uh, that's ready to be revealed in the last time. You greatly rejoice in this, though you have trial now in this age. Concerning this salvation, the salvation of your souls in verse 9, when you receive your inheritance, the resurrected body. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, the grace that you'll receive in, in your resurrected body, searched intently and with greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. And so um, all the prophets, Old Testament and New, prophesy ultimately the restoration of all things. And therefore the prophetic ministry, the point of it is uh, is only to reinforce that which the Spirit of Christ is, uh, is dwelling in us and to make that known uh, to the people. The prophetic ministry is thus uh, assumed in the New Testament uh, to be complementary to that of the prophetic ministry in the Old Testament. And so, uh, is that second? Oh yeah, so Second Peter 1 you have the same idea. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you'll never fail, you'll never fall, and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We ourselves heard this voice that came uh, from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We have the word, therefore, we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And I just put a, uh, I put a footnote there because I'm not sure if I did it in the theology class when, he, when we covered it. But, uh, but Tim Warner does a, a good uh, exegesis to correct the general translation, translates it, from a word that is not what the actual word is. And so it's not the day star or the morning star. It's the one clothed in light. Uh, and there's a one letter that uh, 
makes that for sure for certain but uh you you can uh you can read that footnote if you like um so he says uh the, the prophets are a light shining in the darkness till the day dawns and the one clothed in light, the Messiah, rises. And above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God about the eternal kingdom as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But there are also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, denying the sovereign Lord. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with their stories they've made up. And so the point is, is that the prophets of old live not for this age, but the age to come. And their purpose was to strengthen the saints in their faith and in their sojourning. The false prophets live for this age and they destroy the saints and keep them uh, from living in light of uh, the age to come and keeping their focus on it. Uh, And then likewise, they not only uh, make clear the age to come, strengthening faith, but also strengthening that God has given His Holy Spirit now as a deposit to keep us in faithful sojourning. And so it's not just predictive of the end, it's, it, it plays out in predictive of the future before the age to come. But again, the purpose is to strengthen and encourage that, we might, that in sojourning concerning the age to come. And so it's really a very powerful ministry if it's in uh, the right context. And so I don't want to discourage when, when I criticize the, uh, um, when I criticize some of the apostolic and prophetic now that really has no grid for the resurrection and really, I mean, they live for glory, honor, and riches in this age. I don't want to uh, in any way dampen your desire to seek earnestly the gifts of the Holy Spirit because, I mean, you just, like, there's no, if if you're cessationist in any way and you walk in it, there is no hope of of persevering. I mean, it's just the reality of the situation. If you never see God move, if God isn't active in your life, if God doesn't do stuff, you shrivel up on the inside. You know, and then when God does does stuff, remember like a year ago, I was really intensely discouraged, and I walked into a room, and a guy looks at me and he says, "The Lord says you're like Josiah. You found the book of the Lord in the temple, and the Lord says it's an old book, but it's a new message. He's given you." understanding of an old book but it's a new message to the church it's an old book to the lord but a new message to the church and he says don't let anyone despise your youth like josiah and i was just like unfreaking believable because he didn't know me from anybody and it was just like the lord just gave it to him and i was seriously discouraged but it's uh it, without it that's why the gift of the prophetic ministry and the gift of prophecy you know, is so strengthening on that narrow path when the twists and turns come. Um, I'm just like the uh, twists and turns. I, I have about 10 years, probably 12 years ago, I was, uh, before I went to seminary, I was in the midst of a, a, a group of people that were really prophetically gifted. I mean, just profoundly gifted and I was meeting with this guy one morning and uh, it was the first time I had met with him I had heard uh, a lot about him and we're about 20 minutes into the conversation and he looks at me and he goes you got four fingers on your left hand and I said yeah I lost one when I was a child and he said in my dream last night the Lord spoke to me and said you will meet a man with four fingers and you're to help him in whatever he does and I'm like all right and he says and then the lord told me 
there'll be an older prophet that comes along, but you're not to listen to him. And I was like, what in the world? And then about two weeks later, this guy calls me who, he was, uh, he was a, a right-hand man of John Wimber for like eight years. And I mean, just profoundly gifted uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, in the Holy Spirit and particularly the prophetic uh, gift of prophecy. And he calls me and says, John, I have a word for you. And, and so I meet with him and, and it's, you know, he's got like two pages written out and it's like 45 minutes long. And the gist of it is, if you go to seminary, you'll forfeit your calling. But if you stay here with us, you'll enter into the glory. And, uh, but the Lord had made it really clear to go to seminary. And I was, and so I'm, the whole time I'm just sitting there on the inside going, older prophet, not to listen to him. You know what I mean? But you can't, you, you can't. And so it was the Lord, you know, saying there's a turn coming up and the, and the prophetic ministry gives you the heads up and helps you on that turn so that you walk in faithfulness and receive a rich welcome into the kingdom. And uh, just an example that was on my mind. All right, three, evangelists. The ministry of the evangelist. Uh, which is from the Greek word yongalidzo, to bring good news. And so obviously it's the, uh, the yongalistis, stace, whatever, uh, is one who ministers the good news. Uh, likewise, to be car- assumed to be carried over from the Old Testament as one whom the Spirit empowers to make known the good news of the coming kingdom. And uh, so page 9 Just give a couple of examples from Isaiah 40, Isaiah 52, in which you have uh, he who brings good news, and the good news is uh, in context to the recompense of the Lord and, uh, and the salvation of our God. And like Isaiah 60, uh, 61, the Lord has uh, anointed me to bring good news to the poor, etc., and the, uh, the vengeance of our God. B, the term, um, oh, I can't miss Isaiah 52. Awake, awake, clothe yourselves, yourself in strength, O Zion. Clothe yourself with beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and unclean will no longer dwell. The, this is where they get the idea of, of sleep being a metaphor for death in the New Testament, like First Thessalonians 4. Those who sleep in Christ will be the first to arise because... Uh, Scriptures like Isaiah 55, awake from the sleep of death, shake off the dust from the earth in the resurrection. Um, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news to Jerusalem, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Jerusalem, your God reigns, awake and clothe yourself with strength. Um, B, the term evangel- uh, evangelist is only used three times in the New Testament. But it's universally assumed to be a central aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so, like Paul says in Romans 10, this is the word of faith we're proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, with your mouth you confess and are saved. How then can they call on the one whom they've uh, believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard, how can they hear without someone preaching to them, bringing good news to them? How can they preach unless they're sent, unless they're apostled? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And he quotes Isaiah 52. So you get kind of the bleed over. The Lord sends us as prophets to preach the good news. And uh, you get different emphases in those, but they all kind of bleed over into one purpose, to witness to the Lord and the age to come. I realize this is redundant. (laughs) The class gets extremely redundant. Forgive me. So, uh, in presence of of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience, careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist in preaching the word concerning the in light of his kingdom and his appearing, discharging your, the duties of your ministry. 
Jesus models the ministry of the evangelist, which the apostles also emulate, like the other ministries of the Holy Spirit. Preaching the good news is meant to strengthen the body of Christ and uh, shake the world which embraces the Antichrist spirit. So uh, Luke 8, Acts 10, you guys are familiar with. 2 Thessalonians 2, God has chosen you from beginning from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel, the Evangelion, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ in the resurrection. So then, brethren, stand firm, hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself, God of our Father who has loved us, given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, Comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be rapidly and be glorified, just as it did with you also, that we'll be rescued from perverse and evil men. And so, um, I forget the reason for putting that there. Move on. Teachers. Like the other ministries of the Holy Spirit, the teaching gift within the assembly was universally assumed from the Old Testament, the talk which found expression in the first century teachers of the law. And so it, uh, it wasn't the fact that they were teachers of the law. The, the idea of the teaching ministry in the New Testament was seen as righteous teachers of the law. Not that the law and the prophets would pass away by any means, like Matthew 5, like Jesus said. The point is is that they're unrighteous teachers of the law and the prophets. And uh, like you get in Matthew 23, you can get the negative reinforcement. This is how you ought not to do it. Therefore, you can infer how to do it. Matthew 23, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father who is, who is in heaven, nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. So you have the exact countering of the whole from, you know, from the, from the apostolic succession and the Constantinian shift to the monastic movement, to the mendicants, to the reformers, to the revivalists, to the... Pentecostals, the Charismatics, who just all of them develop the, this, this doctrine of restored apostles and prophets, and it's all set up relating to each other in a hierarchical way, which there has to be leadership, obviously, but the point is the context and the way about the, the leadership happens where there's not a sense and atmosphere of fellow servitude to one master and one father and, and, uh, and, and one uh, teacher. And there's not this culture and atmosphere of mutual submission to one another. There's a, an atmosphere of, and I think it really did develop in tandem with the, the kind of the dualism of reality where God is off there, out there. We're the kingdom, we're the manifestation of God ruling on the earth. And since he's off out there, really we're the ones in charge and therefore we develop this way of relating to each other and an infrastructure that creates an atmosphere and culture of servitude to leadership rather than fellow servitude to one another, like Peter walks into Cornelius and you know they fall on the floor and Peter's like, get up, I am a fellow servant like you. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, you, some of you say you follow Paulus, others Peter, others Paul. What are we but fellow servants of the Lord? You know, and so you, you uh, it's like in marriage where you... Obviously, the man is the head of the household, but if there's ever a time when the husband has to quote to his wife, wives submit to your husbands, there's already a culture in which you've been completely defeated and the enemy is dominating your marriage. You know, if there's not love and respect developed as a culture in which you're both husband and wife's fellow servants of your common master and your common master leads both of you together 
and you submit and serve one another. And we understand that commonly the Lord will speak to the husband and lead the family through the husband. But it's understood that everyone are fellow servants of the Lord and the Lord can speak and lead your family through your wife and through your kids and that you submit to each other out of love and respect to one another. And it's the only way you have a healthy functioning within the house. How much more the household of the Lord and the body of Christ that you have to develop a culture, not in which there's disregard for any kind of leadership, but that the leadership, you develop a culture that you prove that the leadership loves the body and is there to serve the body and not to exploit and bring the body in servitude under itself. I mean, the distinction is just massive. You can't categorize it out, developing a culture of love and respect. It's just the reality has to be there, and it's the, and it's the, the theology and broad framework of understanding salvation and how God relates in the situation that, that through consistency and, and teaching and leadership, you develop a culture likewise in your own ministry. And so it's not like a magical equation just to encourage you as you guys go out of here and you lead ministries, it, it's the same way that it worked with the Apostle Paul, that it was the way you live and the way you teach and consistently you set the right framework and consistently you sacrifice for people and consistently you reinforce it. And in time, there will be a culture developed in righteousness uh, in love. And obviously there's always going to be dysfunctionality in the equation, but... All right, where were we? So he says, verse 11, Matthew 23, you're not to relate to each other this way. And then he clarifies why the teachers of the law, why they relate to others and have others call them teacher because they have not a servant heart. They, the, the ministry is not a diakonia. It's not a service it's not a ministry to people. The reason that the teachers of the law were false is because they weren't functioning as ministers of the Holy Spirit and teaching concerning the age to come and strengthening people in that calling. And so he says, you're not to be called teacher for you have one teacher and the greatest among you will be your servant in contrast to the teachers of the law in their day. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And so he's, woe to you, teachers of the law. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled in the day of the Lord. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. And it's, the, it's uh, again, you have a little present tense uh, uh, analogy. And all he's saying is you make it impossible for people to enter the kingdom of God because of the heart with which you teach the law. And the way you relate to people in unrighteousness and wickedness, you shut the kingdom uh, in men's faces and you make them twice the sons of Gehenna as yourself on the day of the Lord. You will be humbled and they will be humbled and cast into uh, Gehenna. Uh, B, as those who taught the Mosaic Law were supposed to be teaching in such a way that encouraged and strengthened the people in their sojourning, by consecration and holiness and righteousness, righteousness, so also the teachers in the new covenant suppose, are supposed to spur the body on towards love and good works in preparation for the kingdom. And so uh, Daniel 11, those who are wise will instruct many, for though, though for a time they'll fall by the sword, be burned, captured, plum, plundered, some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, made spotless until the time of the end. And so that's what the wise are instructing concerning. Uh, Matthew 13, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who's been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of the store uh, room new treasures as well as old. And so... Uh, his point there in teaching the parables, all the parables in Matthew 13 uh, say the same thing. Number one, uh, they're all delay parables. So in every uh, parable, there's a delay. There's a scattering of the seed. 
before the harvest. There's a the the good and the bad weeds that grow up until the harvest time. There's the growing up of the mustard plant and the birds that that it takes time for it to grow and then the birds gather. There's the mixing of the dough with the yeast throughout, which takes time. There's the finding of the pearl and then going off selling everything and coming back. And then there's the gathering of the fish and then the separating of those out. And so the point is, is that they all speak the same thing and uh, the phraseology of the kingdom of heaven is like is not that it's happening now. It's just referencing the administration of salvation unto the resurrection and the day of the Lord. And so the kingdom of heaven, which is initiated at the day of the Lord, is like righteousness and the Lord testing the hearts of men. And some will respond and they will receive a reward at the day of the Lord, like the parable of the sower. And they'll grow up together, the wicked and the righteous together, and the righteous will be gathered into the barn by the angels at the day of the Lord. And then it will be like God will allow the plant to grow up and the birds of the air, which are referenced throughout Scripture as bad things, like Nebuchadnezzar, the birds of the air gather under the tree, and the yeast through the dough is also yeast is generally a bad thing. From the Passover, unleavened bread, don't listen to the yeast of the Pharisees. And so it's a bad thing. And likewise with the weeds, you have wickedness growing to its fruition. With the growing of the mustard plant, there's going to be the dough in which yeast and wickedness is is cultivated throughout humanity before the day of the Lord. There'll be the 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 finding of a great pearl, selling everything in response to it before receiving the pearl at the day of the Lord because we have a sure hope in the resurrection of Jesus before we receive our own resurrection. There's the gathering of the fish in fullness, righteous and wicked, before they're weeded out. So this is the point. I know we haven't had really time, but there, I worked through the parables for you. (laughs) You can go back through and listen to it again, but whatever I understand that that doesn't do it justice. But that's the context of Matthew 13. Therefore, the teachers of the law who teach on righteousness, because all of the parables are about righteousness of heart and response to the message of the day of the Lord in the kingdom. And that's the point of of all of them. Therefore, teachers of the law who teach the law rightly concerning the age to come and call people to repentance and righteousness of heart they will bring out old things as well as new when the Messiah himself has been born and initiates a, a, a new covenant in which we receive a deposit of the Holy Spirit. So, um, see, during the age of darkness, dwelling in a body of death, the church desperately needs teaching that sheds light, brings hope, without which the human soul shrivels and dies. Uh, Hosea 4, hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. The Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There's no faithfulness or steadfast love, no knowledge of God or acknowledgement. There's swearing, lying, murder, stealing, adultery. They break all bonds. Bloodshed follows bloodshed. Yet yet let no one contend, let no one accuse for with you, for with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being priests uh, to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. As And it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for the ways and repay them for their deeds. Because the point of the Levitical priesthood and the prophets was to teach them and cast vision for the age to come in the day of the Lord. And therefore to keep the people, restrain the people by vision and revelation of the age to come. And, uh, and so this was the righteous, the teachers of the law, the Levites, uh, and I just put on there like Nehemiah 8, the, the Levites instructed the people in the law, making it clear and giving it meaning. Proverbs 29, where there's no revelation or vision, the people cast off, res- uh, cast off restraint. And so Titus 2 is just a, 
expounding on the idea of the teaching ministry and its purpose. So he says in Titus 2, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men, teach the the older women. Then they can train the younger women in everything, set them uh, and it by set them an example by doing what's good in your teaching show integrity seriousness soundness of speech that cannot be condemned for the grace of god that brings salvation has appeared to all men it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope and so the point of the teaching ministry gives vision for the blessed hope and therefore restrains the people teaching them to say no to ungodliness to stay on narrow path to their inheritance and lastly oh yeah let's go ahead and take a take a break and uh then we'll pick up with pastors and and move into the other <laughs>